I'd like to think devotionally tonight of the subject of praying the Psalms. I think if we're all honest, there are times that we struggle to pray. Times when God does not seem so near. And some of you very honestly and openly, you say to me from time to time, Pastor, I'm struggling to pray. I don't have the desire, I don't have the ability anymore. Once I could pray and it was easy, but now it seems so hard. My feelings seem to have gone, the desire is no longer there. I don't find it easy, what should I do? Well, I want to suggest to you it's a good thing to acknowledge that, privately at least. And we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because this is the biggest battle. Do you know the battle is not against sin? The battle is, of course, against sin. But the battle against sin is won and lost in prayer, on our knees, in private. We are, of course, only what we are in private and in prayer. So this is the great battle for believers. This is how the Christian life is progressed or deteriorates when we're in prayer. Prayer is the artery through which blood flows in our relationship with our God. It's, of course, fed and fueled by reading and meditating on the Word of God, but that artery will be blocked. The flow will slow of blood to our heart if we allow Satan to conquer and we give in. So it's not surprising that Satan wants to block the flow and slow the flow. He doesn't want us to pray and he will do everything he can to stop it. So what do we do? when we feel cold, when prayer isn't as spontaneous as perhaps once it used to be. If the disciples who sat at the Master's feet had to say, teach us to pray, they had the best teacher, they had the demonstration of his power through a thousand plus miracles, surely, then what should we do? Well, we say, teach us to pray. Well, I want to suggest to you tonight a practice. It's not novel. It's not an invention. It's perhaps the oldest way to pray. Praying the Psalms. This is a biblical way to pray. Bunyan and Owen, in the midst of the great controversy amongst the Puritans when Bunyan was in prison and Owen was there nearby, they argued that it was wrong to pray written prayers. They were convinced that was not true prayer. Some would disagree, some did at the time. They said it quenched the Holy Spirit and that it failed to facilitate proper prayer. Well, they were not against written prayers in private. They said this, it was a bit like a buoyancy aid. I think they mentioned a pig's bladder at the time to try to help you to swim. That was their form of, some form of inflatable. If you're struggling to swim, to stay afloat, you feel like you're drowning, you're not praying as you should, you may need a buoyancy aid, they said. And so in private, 
written prayers were acceptable. Well, I don't suggest we just read the Psalms, although you can do that. We need to make them our own. Bunyan, in his book on prayer, said, Prayer should be a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God for such things as God hath promised, which are according to the word. Well, I would suggest to you it would be right to read and then to pray the Psalms. And I want to try to give you reasons tonight why that's right and helpful. And then if we have time, we might just turn to Psalm 1 and 2. The Psalms are neglected today. I think there are many good churches and they don't read or sing a psalm from one week to, to the other. Surely that can't be right. I'm not personally persuaded of exclusive psalmody. I think we should name the name of Christ and we have many examples of hymns in the New Testament. But the psalm surely should be part of our worship and our devotional life. So here's some reasons. Well, of course, the Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. 150 of them, spirit-breathed, inspired words of God to enable us to speak to God. That's what the psalmists are doing. And to speak about God and to understand his ways. It's the longest book for a reason. We are to use it. Seven different authors, at least, who wrote the Psalms, and they're given to us for a clear purpose, to use. The Lord knew that we would need the Psalms. Well, secondly, in the New Testament church, we know that Christ himself and the synagogue and then the early church, they used the Psalms. They were used in a rota fashion, they went through the psalms regularly. There were those psalms allocated for worship. You might like to turn to Ephesians 5.19. We have that well-known verse. Notice it says here, not singing, but it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We, of course, should sing the psalms. We do most services on the Lord's Day, we have one or two, sometimes three psalms. But it says, speaking to yourselves, suggesting that this is in private or one to another or in a small group. In psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, people have said that those three words in the Greek are references to psalms, hymns, and choruses. Well, I don't think they had choruses in those days. The probable reference is that it's psalms, psalms, and psalms, different types of psalms. Well, you can turn to Colossians 3.16, and there's a very similar verse. Just to prove that the psalms were a major part of New Testament Worship and the way that they conducted themselves privately. It says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice the word of Christ. Admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The same three words are used. Admonishing, instructing, helping, giving support to and for one another. But notice it says, let the word of Christ. Well, this is the Psalms. Ah, yes. But the Psalms are all about Christ. The Psalms speak of Christ. They prophesy of Christ. Some of the Psalms we can only understand if we put Christ into the Psalms because it's actually his words, it's his thoughts, and it's his feelings and emotions that are expressed in the Psalms. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, admonishing one another in Psalms and Psalms and Psalms. That's literally what it means. Singing, this time not speaking, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the Psalms are to be spoken, sung to one another, and they speak of Christ. So that's a second reason. Their spirit breathes. Secondly, they are mandated in the New Testament to be central in our worship, even if not exclusive. Thirdly, the Psalms are about the heart. This psalm that we've just read. How many times does it mention the heart? The Psalms mention the word heart more than any other book in the Bible. The Psalms is the book of the heart. The Psalms is about our relationship with God through Christ, and it uses the word heart so very often. It speaks exactly, look at verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, the psalmist here, Asaph. His emotion is that he's failing, he's drowning. What should he do? His whole, his whole life, his existence seems to be failing. This is what he feels. This is real. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The heart. That's what we want. Heart religion. Not liturgy. Not said worship. Can have a place. But the words and the thoughts and the emotions of the heart. The Psalms are about heart religion. The heart is the center of our thoughts and our emotions. And it's the foundation of the connection that we have with our God. And the Psalms give voice to that. You can say as well that the Psalms enrich our affections and our emotions. They enable us to respond to all the feelings of life. The Psalms, they speak of gratitude, sorrow, fear, delight, disappointment, awe, delight, Distress, joy, trust, desire, shame, confusion, devotion. Oh, I could go on. 
And how do we pray about those things? We take the right psalm and we allow the psalmist to put into words just how we're feeling. There is no emotion or experience known unto man that the psalms doesn't capture in its broadest way. The psalms as well, they ignite a desire to pray when you're reading through these experiences and emotions and they help to turn us from despair to joy. They show us how we ought to pray. They teach us to pray. Well, the Psalms, we could summarize them, they're prayers of Christ, they're prophecies of Christ, and they're truths for the church. I could give you examples, we haven't got time. In order to understand them, maybe several questions. What did the psalmist mean when he wrote and penned the poem that's before us? That would be helpful to ask. What was he going through? What did believers think? before Christ, when they sang or read that particular psalm? What did Anna and Simeon think? What did David think as he read some of the other psalms? Of course, the psalms have truths about Christ and even about the way of salvation. And what about Christ himself? The only perfect worshipper. Have you ever thought of that? Christ went to the synagogue. How did he pray? How did he praise? With the Psalms. And as he used them, he used them perfectly. No impure thought. No thought that was inadequate. As he praised his Father, he used the Psalms. A couple of quotes. One of the early church fathers, Athanasius, he said in 345, the Psalms are like a garden, which besides bearing fruit found elsewhere, elsewhere in the Bible, exhibits things of its own, along with the words they can be sung. Augustine said one cannot hear or read a Psalm without deep feeling. Let's just look at Psalm 1 and 2, very, very briefly. I just want to read maybe Psalm 1. Of course, the first two Psalms are such a contrast. Psalm 1 is the godly man. Psalm 2 is the ungodly man. So let's read just briefly. Follow along with me. How is this a prayer? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. How have I walked today? Have I walked in a godly way? Or have I walked in ungodly ways with ungodly company and stood in the way of sinners? Verse 2. What's been my delight today? Has my delight been in the law of the Lord? And have I meditated upon that law, perfect law, day and night and all its instruction? Verse 3. And he, maybe me, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruits of character in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. O oh Lord, might that be my life. 
Might I have character and fruit and patience and self-control and might that anger problem I have disappear so that when I stand before others in the workplace, I prosper spiritually. Verse 4, this is how we pray it. But the ungodly, they're not like that. I reflect upon the fact that others that I work with, they're called the ungodly. And one day the very best they have will be like chaff, and like the wind it will be driven away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand on the day of judgment, because they don't have an advocate, and their sin will be counted against them, and they will not be righteous. Verse 6, For the Lord knows my heart. He knows if I'm trusting in the righteousness of Christ, but the way of the ungodly, who never believed, who never put their faith in Christ, shall perish. I'm sure that's a legitimate way to take a psalm, to expand it, to apply it to our heart, to our life, to our situation. And then we will be blessed. Psalm 2, very quickly, just a few verses. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the ungodly seem to flourish in my life? And the rich get richer. Oh no. They imagine a vain thing. The kings put themselves up on high. And the rulers take counsel again to defeat the Lord. And against his anointed, that must be Christ, saying, Let us break their bands in asunder and cast away their cords from us. But, a wonderful verse. He, my God, that sits in the heavens, shall laugh. The Lord shall have even them, laughing at each other in derision. Well, the Psalms. Do we use them that way? If you feel cold and dry and arid, and you long to know the intimacy and the warmth that you once had with Christ, Take a psalm, use it, apply it. I'm sure it will be a blessing to all of us if we use it in that way.